We want to turn back to domestic issues and the epidemic of gun violence in this country. We're less than 100 miles from Dayton, Ohio, where two months ago, a gunman killed nine people using an AR-15-style weapon with a high-capacity magazine. Congressman O'Rourke, in the last debate, you said, quote, hell yes, we're going to take your AR-15, your AK-47. But when you were asked how you'd enforce a mandatory buyback, you said police wouldn't be going door to door. So how exactly are you going to force people to give up their weapons? You don't even know who has those weapons. Look, we're going to make sure that the priority is saving the lives of our fellow Americans. I think almost everyone on this stage agrees that it's not right and, as president, would seek to ban the sale of AR-15s and AK-47s. Those are weapons of war. They were designed to kill people effectively, efficiently on a battlefield. You mentioned the massacre in, in Dayton. Nine people killed in under 40 seconds. In El Paso, Texas, 22 were killed in under three minutes. And the list goes on throughout the country. So if the logic begins with those weapons being too dangerous to sell, then it must continue by acknowledging with 16 million AR-15s and AK-47s out there, they are also too dangerous to own. Every single one of them is a potential instrument of terror. Just ask Hispanics in Texas. Univision surveyed them. More than 80% feared that they would be a victim of a mass terror attack like the one in El Paso that was targeted at Mexican-Americans and immigrants, inspired in part by this president's racism and hatred that he's directed at communities like mine in El Paso. So I expect my fellow Americans to follow the law, the same way that we enforce any provision, any law that we have right now. We don't go door to door to do anything in this country to enforce the law. I expect Republicans, Democrats, gun owners, non-gun owners alike to to respect and follow the law. Just to follow up, your expectations aside, uh, your website says you will find people who don't uh, give up their weapons. That doesn't take those weapons off the street. So to be clear, exactly how are you going to take away weapons from people who do not want to give them up and you don't know where they are. If someone does not turn in an AR-15 or an AK-47, one of these weapons of war, or, or brings it out in public and, and brandishes it in an attempt to intimidate, as we saw when we were at Kent State uh, recently, then that weapon will be taken from them. Uh, if they persist, there will be other consequences from law enforcement. But the expectation is that Americans will follow the law. I believe in this country. I believe in my fellow Americans. I believe that they will do the right thing. Thank you. Mr. Uh, Mayor Buttigieg, just yesterday you referred to mandatory buybacks as confiscation and said that Congressman O'Rourke has been picking a fight to try to stay relevant. Your response on guns? Well, Congressman, you just made it clear that you don't know how this is actually going to take weapons off the streets. If you can develop the plan further, I think we can have a debate about it. But we can't wait. People are dying in the streets right now. We can't wait for universal background checks that we finally have a shot to actually get through. We can't wait to ban the sale of new weapons and high-capacity magazines so we don't wind up with millions more of these things on the street. We can't wait for red flag laws that are going to disarm domestic abusers and prevent suicides, which are not being talked about nearly enough as a huge part of the gun violence epidemic in this country. We cannot wait for purity tests. We have to just get something done. This, uh, this, this Mr. is not a purity test. This is, this is a country that loses 40,000 of our fellow Americans every year to gun violence. Th- this is a crisis, and we've got to do something about it. And those challenges that you described are not mutually exclusive to the challenges that I'm describing. I want to make sure we have universal background checks and red flag laws and that we end the sale of these weapons of war. But to use the analogy of health care, it would be as though we said, look, 
we're, we're for primary care, but let's not talk about mental health care because that's a, a bridge too far. Pe people need that primary care now, so let's save that for another day. No, let's decide what we are going to believe in, what we are going to achieve, and then let's bring this country together in order to do that. Listening to my fellow Americans, to those moms who demand action, to those students who march for our lives, who in fact came up with this extraordinary bold Thank peace you, plan that calls for mandatory buybacks, let's follow their inspiration and lead and not be limited by the polls and the consultants and the focus groups. Let's Mayor do what's Buttigieg, right while we have response? time to do what's right. Mayor Buttigieg. The problem is in the polls. The problem is the policy. And I don't need lessons from you on courage, political or personal. Everyone on this stage is determined to get something done. Everyone on this stage recognizes, or at least I thought we did, that the problem is not other Democrats who don't agree with your particular idea of how to handle this. The problem is the National Rifle Association and their enablers in Congress, and we should be united in taking the fight to them. That's, that's, okay. that's a mischaracterization, Anderson. I've got to answer this. Never took you or anyone else on who disagrees with me on this issue. But when you, Mayor Buttigieg, described this policy as a shiny object, uh, I don't care what that meant to me or my candidacy. But to those who have survived gun violence, those who've lost a loved one to an AR-15, an AK-47, March for Our Lives, formed in the courage of students willing to stand up to the NRA and conventional politics and poll-tested politicians, that was a slap in the face to every single one of those groups and every single survivor of a mass casualty assault with an AR-15 and an AK-47. We must buy them back. What we owe to those survivors is to actually deliver a solution. I'm glad you offered up All that right. analogy to healthcare because this is really important. We are at the cusp of building a new American majority to actually do things that congressmen and senators have been talking about with almost no impact for my entire Thank you, adult Mayor. life. This is really important, okay? On, on guns, we are this close to an assault weapons ban. That would be huge. And we're going to get wrapped around the axle in a debate over whether it's Hell yes, we're going to take your guns. We have an opportunity you, to Mary. deliver health care to everybody. And some of the stage are saying it doesn't count. Senator Booker, just, you want to give somebody, I want to give other, to to give other candidates saying. a chance. Senator Booker, what's your response to, to Mayor Buttigieg? Well, look, I, I, again, worry about how we talk to each other and about each other and what this last week has shown. Uh, this young man in my neighborhood, I watched him grow up. I lived in some high-rise projects with him named Shahad. And... He was murdered on my block last year with an assault rifle. I'm living with a sense of urgency on this problem because when I go home to my community, like millions of Americans, we live in communities where these weapons, where these gunshots are real every single day. And I know where the American public is. This is not about leadership. This is why when I talk about things like gun licensing and point out the differences between us, I'm not attacking people or their character or their courage on these issues. We all have courage, but it's frustrating that when the American people, 77% of Americans, agree on licensing, we don't need leadership right now. We just need folks that are going to stand up and follow where the people Thank already you. are, because there are millions of Americans where this is a daily nightmare, where we're surrendering our freedoms to fear in this country. This is the first time in American history this fall where we have sent our children to school, the strongest nation on the planet Earth, and said to them, we can't protect you. Thank you, sir. So in school, we're going to teach you how to hide. There are more sir. duck and cover drills and shelter-in-place drills in America now than fire drills. Thank you, If Senator. I'm President of the United States, I will bring an urgency to this issue and Senator make sure Klobuchar. that we end the scourge of, of mass violence in our Senator country. Klobuchar, Senator Warren, uh, Senator Warren uh, supports a voluntary, uh, excuse me, Senator, uh, Senator Klobuchar, you you support a voluntary buyback, right. if I'm correct, right. Uh, what is wrong with a mandatory buyback? 
Your response? I just keep thinking of how close we are to finally getting something done on this. I'm looking at the mayor of Dayton. I met one of the survivors um, from that shooting. 30 seconds, nine people killed. The public is with us on this in a big way. The majority of Trump voters want to see universal background checks right now. The majority of hunters want to see us move forward with gun safety legislation. There are three bills right now on Mitch McConnell's desk. The background check bill, my bill to close the boyfriend loophole so domestic abusers don't get guns, the bill to make it easier for police to vet people before they get a gun. That's what we should be focusing on. And I just don't want to screw this up. When I'm president, I do want to bring in an assault weapon ban. And I do want to put a limitation on magazines so what happened in Dayton, Ohio will never happen again. But let's not mess this up with this fight. Senator, uh, Senator Warren, uh, you support a voluntary gun buyback of assault-style weapons as well. Why not a mandatory one? So, look, I want to get what works done. Uh, I want to use the method we used, for example, with machine guns. Uh, we registered them. We put in a huge penalty if you didn't register them and a huge tax on them and let people turn them in. And it got machine guns out of the hands of people. But the problem here that we need to focus on is first how widespread gun violence is. As you've rightly identified, it's not just about mass shootings. It's what happens in neighborhoods all across this country. It is about suicide. It is about domestic violence. This is not going to be a one and done, that we do one thing or two things or three things and then we're done. We have to reduce gun violence overall. And the question we have to ask is, why hasn't it happened? You say we're so close. We have been so close. I stood in the United States Senate in Thank 2013 you. when 54 senators voted in favor of gun legislation, you, and it didn't pass because of the filibuster. Senator, we have got to attack the corruption and repeal the filibuster, or the gun industry will always have a veto over what happens. Senator Harris, talk. you disagree with Senator Warren. You think the buyback should be mandatory. Please respond. Five million assault weapons are on the streets of America today. During the course of this debate, eight people will die from gun violence. The leading cause of death of young black men in America is gun violence more than the top other six reasons totaled. This is a serious matter. I have personally hugged more mothers of homicide victims than I care to tell you. I have looked at more autopsy photographs than I care to tell you. I have attended more police officer funerals than I care to tell you. I'm done, and we need action. And Congress has had years to act and failed because they do not have the courage. When I'm elected, I'll give them 100 days to pull their act together, put a bill on my desk for signature, and if they don't, I will take executive action and put in place a comprehensive background check requirement and ban the importation of assault weapons into our country because it is time to act. Senator Biden, uh, uh, Vice President Biden, your response. I'm the only one on this stage who has taken on the NRA and beat them, and beat them twice. We were able to get assault weapons off the, off the streets and not be able to be sold for 10 years. Recent studies show that mass violence went down when that occurred. The way to deal with those guns and those AR-15s and assault weapons that are on the street, are not on the street, that people own, is to do what we do with the National Firearms Act as it related to machine guns. 
you must register that weapon. You must register it. When you register it, the likelihood of it being used diminishes exponentially. I'm the only one that got, uh, got moved the, uh, to make sure that we could not have a magazine that had more than 10 rounds in it. I've done this. I know how to get it done. If you really want to get it done, go after the gun manufacturers and take back the exemption they have of not being able to be sued. Thank you, Mr. That Vice President. Secretary uh, Castro, the, the vast majority of homicides committed with a gun in this country are from handguns, not assault-style weapons. What's your plan to prevent those deaths? Uh, thank you very much for the question. You know, I grew up in neighborhoods where it wasn't uncommon to hear gunshots at night, and I can remember ducking into the backseat of a car when I was a freshman in high school uh, across the street from my school, my public school, because folks were shooting at each other. Um, you know, in the neighborhoods, uh, let me answer this question about voluntary versus mandatory. There are two problems I have with mandatory buybacks. Number one, folks can't define it. And if you're not going to door, door to door, then it's not really mandatory. But also, in the, in the places that I grew up in, we weren't exactly looking for another reason for cops to come banging on the door. And y'all saw a couple of days ago what happened to uh, Tatiana Jefferson in Fort Worth. A cop showed up at 2 in the morning at her house when she was playing video games with her, ne with her nephew. He didn't even announce himself. And within four seconds, he shot her and killed her through her home window. She was in her own home. And so I am not going to give these police officers another reason to go door to door in certain communities because police violence is also gun violence, and we need to address that. Secretary Castro, thank you. Turning to another key issue here in Ohio and around the country, the opioid epidemic, uh, Senator Klobuchar, CNN reached out to Ohio Democratic voters for their most pressing questions. Bree, a teacher in Proctorville, asks, in rural Ohio, the opioid epidemic has affected our communities and schools. I have many high school students who have lost one or both parents to heroin. Teachers are on the front lines daily witnessing these tragedies. How will you tackle this problem in general? But specifically, what will you offer people in rural communities where rehabilitation is not easily accessed and access to jobs is difficult? Well, I want to thank her for this question. Um, this is something that should never have happened to begin with. I remember when I was a prosecutor, these were not the kind of cases that were coming in our door. And it's gotten worse and worse. And we now know why. As the evidence is coming out of those lawsuits, probably one of the most horrible things that I saw was the email from one of the pharma executives that actually said, keep pumping them out. They're eating them like Doritos. So my first answer to that question, and which is included in my plan, is that the people that should pay for this, that should pay for the treatment, are the very people that got people hooked and killed them in the first place. And that is the people that are manufacturing these opioids. That's the first way. And you can, with a two cents per milligram tax, bring in the money, plus with the federal master settlement, to help in rural areas where they're so isolated and also in urban areas where it's, by the way, not just opioids. There's still meth issues and crack cocaine issues. This is personal for me. My dad. He struggled with alcoholism his whole life. And by his third DWI, they said to him, the prosecutor, you got to face jail or you got to go to treatment. He picked treatment, and he was pursued by grace. And he has been sober ever since. And now he's 91 and in assisted living. And he said to me last year, it's hard to get a drink around here anyway. 
but he still has an AA group that visits him there. And so for me, I believe that everyone in this country, including the people in rural America, have that same right to be pursued by Thank grace. You. Thank you, Senator. Mr. Steyer, how would you address the opioid epidemic that exists here in Ohio and around the country? Please respond. Well, I think this is one of the most heartbreaking experiences that America's had. 72,000 people died of opioid overdoses last year. And that's not only a tragedy for them, it's a tragedy for their family and their communities. And so I think we have to treat this as a health crisis. We have to move the resources and the support there to try and help people. But I think that Senator Klobuchar makes a good point. The reason I'm running for president is that we have a broken government. And we have a broken government because corporations have bought it. And every single one of these conversations is about that broken government. It's about drug companies buying the government and getting what they want. It's about the gun manufacturers buying the government and get what we want. We need to break the corporate stranglehold on our government. I've put forward actual structural changes, including term limits, a national referendum, the end to the idea that corporations are people and have the rights of American citizens politically and make it a lot easier to vote. These corporations have taken over our government and 72,000 deaths you, last year are the tragic Thank you, Mr. result. Sire. Mr. Yang, you want to decriminalize the possession and use of small amounts of opioids, including heroin. How would that solve the crisis? That's exactly right. And we have to recognize this is a disease of capitalism run amok. There was a point when there were more opiate prescriptions in the state of Ohio than human beings in the state of Ohio. And for some reason, the federal government thought that was appropriate. They ended up levying a $600 million fine against Purdue Pharma, which sounds like a lot of money, until you realize that company made $30 billion. They got a 2% fine, and they killed tens of thousands of Americans eight an hour. So if the government turned a blind eye to this company spreading a plague among its people, then the least we can do is put the resources to work in our communities so our people have a fighting chance to get well, even though this is not a money problem. We all know this is a human problem. And part of helping people get the treatment that they need is to let them know that they're not going to be referred to a prison cell. They will be referred to treatment and counseling. I talked to an EMT in New Hampshire, and he said he saves the same addicts over and over again. Because the fact is, after you save someone who's ODing, you just bring them back to their house, and they OD again the following week. So we need to decriminalize opiates for personal use. We have to let the country know this is not a personal failing. This was a systemic government failing. And then we need to open up safe consumption and safe injection sites around the country because they save lives. Thank you, Mr. Yang. Congressman O'Rourke, is decriminalizing opioids part of the solution? Please respond. Yes, it is, for many of the reasons that Mr. Yang just described. And also just from some personal experiences I've had as a member of Congress, where constituents of mine have come forward, in some cases publicly, at a town hall meeting to describe their addictions. I remember a veteran telling me that he bought heroin off the street because he was originally prescribed an opioid at the VA. Now, imagine if that veteran, instead of being prescribed an opioid, had been prescribed marijuana because we yes. made that legal in America, ensured the VA could, could prescribe it. 
uh, expunged the arrest records for those who've been arrested for possession, and made sure that he was not prescribed something to which he would become addicted. I also want to agree with Senator Klobuchar. Until we hold those responsible accountable for their actions, Purdue Pharma, Johnson & Johnson, we're going to continue to have this problem going on again. So that veteran that I met, and anyone with drug addiction today, is not a problem for the criminal justice system. They Thank are an opportunity for you, our public health system Senator Harris, uh, you want to hold the drug manufacturers uh, that fuels the crisis accountable. Are you in favor of sending those drug company executives to jail? I am. And I will tell you, as a former prosecutor, I do think of this as being a matter of justice and accountability, because they are nothing more than some high-level dope dealers. They have been engaged. They ha and, I've, and I've seen it happen before. I've taken on the pharmaceutical companies when I was Attorney General of California and led the second largest Department of Justice. I've seen what they do. The, the, the biggest pharmaceutical companies, the eight biggest pharmaceutical companies and insurance companies last year profited $72 billion on the backs of people like the families that we are talking about that have been overwhelmed by this crisis, which is a public health epidemic. And they knew what they were doing. They were marketing, false advertising. They knew what they were pushing in communities and states like Ohio without any concern about the repercussions because they were profiting and making big bucks. And yes, they should be held accountable. This is a matter of justice. And so as, as President of the United States, I would ensure that the United States Department of Justice understand that you want to deal with who is really a criminal? Let's end mass incarceration and end that failed war on drugs, and let's go over after these pharmaceutical companies for what they've been doing to destroy our country in states like Ohio. Thank you, Senator. Secretary Castro, are you in favor of sending those drug company executives to prison? Please respond. Uh, yes, I am. They need to be held accountable, not only financially, but also with <laughs> Uh, criminal penalties. And, you know, you can draw a straight line between making sure that we hold executives accountable, whether it's these drug manufacturers or Wall Street executives that should have been held accountable a decade and a half ago. Thank you. Okay. Now to the issue of candidates and their health. Senator Sanders, well, I want to start with you. I want to well, start. We're, we're moving on, Senator. I'm, I'm healthy. Sorry. I'm feeling great, but I would like to well, respond to that. <laughs> I want to I start by saying... And Senator, uh, Senator Sanders is in favor of medical marijuana. I want to make sure that's clear as well. I Senator Sanders, <laughs> this debate does tonight. mark your this debate. All right. This let, debate, let me, sir, I, I, does mark your return to the campaign trail. Okay, I, go ahead and finish your point, and then well, I'll ask me, my question, Senator. I, I'm more than happy to answer your question, but I wanted to pick up on what Kamala and Corey and others have said. Let's take a deep breath. Take a look at this opioid epidemic. You have executives, CEOs of major pharmaceutical companies making tens of millions of dollars a year. And in this particular case with the opioids, they knew that they were selling a product to communities all over this country which were addicting people and killing them. And last year, the top 10 drug companies made $69 billion in profit. This is what unfettered capitalism is doing to this country. And it's not just the drug companies. Right now, the CEOs in the fossil fuel industry know full well that their product is destroying this world, and they continue to make huge right. profits. Senator that is why we need a political revolution. 
that Thank says you, enough is enough to this behavior. Senator, we are all very glad you're feeling Thank well, you. as you just said. Um, but, but there is a question on a lot of people's minds, and I want to address it tonight. You're 78 years old, and you just had a heart attack. How do you reassure Democratic voters that you're up to the stress of the presidency? Well, uh, let me invite you all to a major rally we're having in Queens, New York, BernieSanders.com. We're going to have a special guest at that event. And we are going to be mounting a vigorous campaign all over this country. That is how I think I can reassure the American people. But let me take this moment, if I might, uh, to thank so many people uh, from all over this country, including many of my colleagues up here, for their love, for their prayers, for their well wishes. And I just want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. And I'm so happy to be back here with you this evening. Vice President Biden, if you're elected, you will turn 80 during your first term. Last month, former President Jimmy Carter said he could not have undertaken the duties of the presidency at 80 years old. Why are you so sure that you can? Because I've watched it. I know what the job is. I've been engaged. Look, one of the reasons I am running is because of my age and my experience. With it comes wisdom. We need someone to take office this time around who on day one can stand on the world stage, command the respect of world leaders from Putin to our allies, and know exactly what has to be done to get this country back on track. It is required now more than any time in any of our lifetimes to have someone who has that capacity on day one. That's one of the reasons why I decided to run, why I decided to run this time, because of I know what has to be done, I've done it before. I've been there when we pulled the nation out of the worst financial recession in history. I've been there, and I've got so many pieces of legislation passed, including the Affordable Care Act, as well as making sure that we had the Recovery Act, which kept us from going into depression. I know what has to be done. I will not need any on-the-job training the day I take office. And I will release my medical records, as I have 21 years of my tax record, which no one else on this stage has done, so that you can have full transparency as to my health and what I am doing. Just to be clear, Mr. Vice President, when will you release those records? Before the first vote. Before Iowa? Yes. Not by the end of this year? Well, before Iowa. I mean, look, I've released them before. I mean, I've released <laughs> 55 pages of mine. I'm the only guy that's released anything up here. Senator Warren, like Senator Sanders and Vice President Biden, if you win the presidency, you would be the oldest president ever inaugurated in a first term. You would be 71. Forty percent of Democratic primary voters say they think a candidate under the age of 70 is more likely to defeat President Trump. What do you say to them? Well, I say I will outwork, outorganize, and outlast anyone, uh, and that includes Donald Trump, Mike Pence, or whoever the Republicans get stuck with. <laughs> Look, the, the way I see this, um, the way we're going to win 
is by addressing head-on what millions of Americans know in their bones. And that is that the wealthy and the well-connected have captured our democracy, and they're making it work for themselves and leaving everyone else behind. And political pundits and Washington insiders and shoot people in our own party don't want to admit that. They think that running some kind of vague campaign that nibbles around the edges of big problems in this country is a winning strategy. They are wrong. If all Democrats can promise is after Donald Trump, it will be business as usual, then we will lose. Democrats win when we call out what's broken and we show how to fix it. Democrats will win when we fight for the things that touch people's lives. Things like childcare and healthcare and housing costs. Democrats will win when we give people a reason you, to Senator get Warren. in the fight. Congresswoman Gabbard, you're 38 years old and you would be the youngest president if elected. Should age matter when choosing a president? Uh, I'm glad you asked because I was gonna say it's not fair to ask these three about their health and their fitness to serve as president, but not every other one of us. Uh, I, I am grateful to have uh, been trained very well by the Army and do my best to stay in shape. But here's the real question I believe you should be asking is, who is fit to serve as our Commander-in-Chief? This is the most important responsibility that the President has. What Donald Trump has been doing in Syria and what we have just seen with him inviting the Turkey to come in and slaughter the Kurds show what an unfit president looks like. It, it, it highlights how critical it is that we have a president and commander in chief who is ready on day one, bringing experience and understanding in foreign policy and national security. Bringing the experience that I have, both serving in Congress now for nearly seven years, serving on the Foreign Affairs Committee, serving on the Armed Services Committee, subcommittees related to uh, uh, terrorism and upcoming threats, serving on the Homeland Security Committee, the experience that I have as a soldier, serving for over 16 years in the Army National Guard, deploying twice to the Middle East, being able to serve in different capacities, joint training exercises, training the Kuwait National Guard. I understand the importance of our national security. I am prepared to do this job, to fulfill this responsibility as Commander-in-Chief on day one. I'd like to ask our other candidates this question. I'd like to start with Senator Warren. Sorry, Sen what Congresswoman, her I'm sorry. And background is I'm sorry, thank you. We're going to take another break now. The CNN New York Times debate live from Otterbein University here in Ohio. We'll be back in just a few moments. And welcome back to the CNN New York Times Democratic presidential debate. Mark Lacey from the New York Times starts off our questioning. Mark. Thank you. Let's turn to the growing concerns over the power of big tech companies. Mr. Yang, Senator Warren is calling for companies like Facebook, Amazon, and Google to be broken up. Is she right? Does that need to happen? As usual, Senator Warren is 100% right in diagnosing the problem. There are absolutely excesses in technology, and in some cases, having them divest parts of their business is the right move. But we also have to be realistic that competition doesn't solve all of the problems. It's not like any of us wants to use the fourth best navigation app. That would be like cruel and punishment. There's a reason why no one is using Bing today. Sorry, Microsoft, it's true. So it's not like breaking up these big tech companies will revive Main Street businesses around the country. And as the parent of two young children, I'm particularly concerned about screen use and its effect on our children. 
Studies clearly show that we're seeing record levels of anxiety and depression coincident with smartphone adoption and social media use. Breaking up the tech companies does nothing to make our kids healthier. What we have to do is we have to home in on the specific problems we're trying to solve and use 21st century solutions for 21st century problems. Using a 20th century antitrust framework will not work. We need new solutions and a new toolkit. Thank you. Senator Warren, is Mr. Yang wrong? Uh, your response, please. Look, I'm not willing to give up and let a handful of monopolists dominate our economy and our democracy. It's time to fight back. Think about it this way, when you talk about how it works in competition, uh, about 8%, 9% of all retail sales happen in bricks and sticks stores happen at Walmart. About 49% of all sales online happen in one place, that's Amazon. It collects information from every little business. And then Amazon does something else. It runs the platform, gets all the information, and then goes into competition with those little businesses. Look, you get to be the umpire in the baseball game or you get to have a team, but you don't get to do both at the same time. We need to enforce our antitrust laws, break up these giant companies that are dominating big tech, big pharma, you, big Ward. oil, all of them. Mr. Steyer, your response? Look, I agree with Senator Warren that in fact monopolies have to be dealt with they either have to be broken up or regulated, and that's part of it. But we have to understand that Mr. Trump is going to be running on the economy. He's going to be saying he's the person who can make it grow. I started a business from scratch, one room, no employers, and built a multi-billion dollar international business. We're going to have to show the American people that we don't just know how to tax and have programs to break up companies, but also talk about prosperity, talk about investing in the American people, Talk about harnessing the innovation and competition of the American private sector. In fact, if we want to beat Mr. Trump, I think somebody who can take a, go toe-to-toe -to -toe with him and show him to be a fraud and a failure as a business person and a fraud and a failure as a steward of the American economy is going to be necessary. He is one. His tax plan's a failure. His trade war is a failure. I would love to take him on as a real businessman and show that, in fact, he's failed the American people and he has to go. Thank you, Mr. Steyer. Senator Booker, how do you respond? Would a President Booker break up big tech companies like Facebook and Amazon? Anybody that does not think that we have a massive crisis in our democracy with the way these tech companies are being used, not just in terms of anti-competitive practices, but also to undermine our democracy. We have seen it in the 16 election practices being used that have not been corrected now. We need regulation and reform. And antitrust, I mean, Robert Bork right now is laughing in, 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 his, in his sleep. We have a reality in this country where antitrust from pharma to farms is causing trouble. And we have to deal with this. As President of the United States, I will put people in place uh, that enforce antitrust laws. And I want to say one last thing, and I feel qualified to say this as the vegan on the stage. Uh, going back to the fact that we, it's rich to me that we asked three people about their health. When looking at this stage, we know that the most unhealthy person running for, their, for the presidency in 2020 is Donald Trump. Thank you, Senator. Congressman O'Rourke, you say you're not sure if it's appropriate for a president to designate which companies should be broken up. So what's the proper level of oversight here? Yeah, we need to set very tough, very clear, transparent rules of the road, the kind of rules that we do not have today 
that allow these social media platforms where we the people have become the product to abuse that public trust and to do so at extraordinary profits. Right now, we treat them functionally as a utility, when in reality, they're more akin to a publisher. They, they curate the content that we see, uh, our pictures and personal information that they share with others. We would allow no publisher to do what Facebook is doing, to, to publish that ad that Senator Warren has rightfully called out, that CNN has refused to air because it is untrue and tells lies about the vice president. Treat them like the publisher that they are. That's what I will do as president. And we will be unafraid to break up big businesses if we have to do that. But I don't think it is the role of a president or a candidate for the presidency to specifically call out which companies will be broken up. That's something that Donald Trump has done, uh, in part because he sees enemies in the press and wants to diminish their power. Is not something that we should do. So tough rules of the road, protect your personal information, privacy, and data, and be fearless in the face of these tech giants. Senator Sanders, your response? Uh, when we talk about a rigged economy, it's not just the grotesque level of income and wealth inequality. It is also the fact that in sector after sector, whether it is Wall Street, where you have six banks that have assets equivalent to half of the GDP of the United States, whether it is medium, where you have 10 media companies that control about 90% of what the American people see, hear, or read, whether it is agribusiness, where we see merger after merger, which is resulting in the decline of family-based farming in this country. We need a president who has the guts to appoint an attorney general who will take on these huge monopolies, protect small business, and protect consumers by ending the price fixing, Thank which you, we Senator. see every day. Thank Mark. you, Senator. Senator Harris, to you, Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg says that splitting up big tech companies will make election interference more likely because the companies won't be able to work together to fight it. Could breaking up these companies make the spread of disinformation worse? No, I don't agree with that at all. And I, serving on the Senate Intelligence Committee, working with Amy Klobuchar on what we need to do to upgrade the elections infrastructure, knowing that Russia needs to be held accountable for the fact that they interfered in the election of the President of the United States and it, it will attempt to do it again, um, that's, that's a ridiculous argument he's making. But I, I do want to also say this. What we're talking about is a grave in injustice when rules apply to some but not equally to all, and in particular when the rules that apply to the powerless don't apply to the powerful. And so, Senator Warren, I just want to say that I was surprised to hear that you did not agree with me that on this subject of what should be the rules around corporate responsibility for these big tech companies, when I called on Twitter to suspend Donald Trump's uh, account, that you did not agree, and I would, I would urge you to join me, because here we have Donald Trump, who has 65 million Twitter followers and is using that platform as the president of the United States to openly intimidate witnesses, to threaten witnesses, to obstruct justice. And he and his account should be taken down. We saw in El Paso that that shooter in his manifesto was informed by how Donald Trump uses that platform. And this is a matter of corporate responsibility. Twitter should be held accountable and shut down that site. It is a matter of safety and corporate accountability. Thank you. Senator Warren, you can respond. So, look, I don't just want to push Donald Trump off Twitter. I want to push him out of the White House. That's our job. So join but me, the way, but Join but me the, in saying that his Twitter account should be shut out. down. Let's figure out. No. 
why it is that we have had laws on the books for antitrust for over a century and yet for decades now. We've all called on how the big drug companies are calling the shots in Washington, big ag, how uh, the gun industry, big tech. You know, we really need to address the elephant in the room, and that is how campaigns are financed. You can't say you're corporate responsibility if morning, it doesn't apply to everyone. I announced this morning that I'm not going to take any money from big tech executives, from Wall Street executives. We've already agreed, Bernie and I, we're not taking any money from big pharma executives. You can't go behind closed doors and take the money of these executives and then turn around and expect that these are the people who are actually finally going to enforce the laws. We need campaign finance rules you, and Senator practices Warren. Senator Harris. You can't, that support you can't, us all. You, you can't. It, is, it does not represent a system of justice to say that the rules will apply differently to different people. This is a matter, you are saying, of holding big tech accountable. Yes. Holding big tech accountable because they have an outsized influence on people's perceptions about issues. And they actually influence behaviors. We all have to agree this is their power. It is immense. Senator so, Klobuchar, so, so let you me bring you in here. Your I'm not, response. I'm not, I'm not you. finished. I'm not finished. And so what I am saying is that it seems to me that you would be able to join me in saying the rule has to apply to Twitter the same way it does to Facebook. Look, I think all of the rules should apply across the board. I don't have a problem with that. So you will what join I me do in saying Twitter should shut down that account. Is that if we're going to talk seriously about breaking up big tech, then we should ask if people are taking money from the big tech executives. If we're going to talk seriously about breaking up big drug companies, we should ask if people are financing their campaigns by taking money from big drug executives. If we are going to talk about Wall Street and having some serious regulation over Wall Street, we should ask if people are funding their campaigns by taking money from those executives. Thank you, so Senator Klobuchar. Let's I, bring I you in here. I would like we to have a have different take on this. Uh, I was in the private sector for 14 years, uh, represented uh, companies that were fighting to get into the telecom market. So I had a life before government. And what I saw was when we got more competition there, the prices went down in a big way in the long distance market. Well, right now we have another Gilded Age going on, and I am the lead Democrat on the Antitrust Committee. Uh, I have the lead legislation, which means, one, changing the standard so we can do a better job of doing just what we've been talking about here, is breaking down some of this consolidation, and also making sure that the enforcers have the resources to take them on because they're so overwhelmed. But the issue here is this. Start talking about this as a pro-competition issue. This used to be a Republican and Democratic issue because America, our founding fathers, actually wanted to have less consolidation. We were a place of entrepreneurship. We are seeing a startup Thank slump you, in this country. Secretary and this Castro, means everything like from tech Please on respond. down. Yeah, I think that we're on the right track in terms of updating uh, how we look at monopolistic practices and setting, as Congressman Roque said, rules for the road that match the challenges that we face today. Uh, and, you know, whether that's Amazon that is leveraging its size, I think, to help put small businesses out of business, and then at the same time, shortchanging a lot of its workers, yeah. uh, not paying them as they should, not giving them the benefits that they should. Uh, or it's another, uh, it's a number of other 
companies, big tech companies, we need to take a stronger stance when it comes to cracking down on monopolistic trade practices, and that's what I would do as president. Thank you, best Mr. Secretary. Way we can fight back. The Turning best way we can fight back against big tech companies is to say our data is our property. Right now, our data is worth more than oil. How many of you remember getting your data check in the mail? It got lost, it went to Facebook, Amazon, Google. If we say this is our property and we share in the gains, that's the best way we can thank, balance the scales against the big you, tech Mr. companies. Yang.